are listening to WRIRLP 97.3 FM Richmond Independent Radio, and this is RVA Dirt's Municipal Mania. This is Melissa, Jesse, and Francesca. And welcome to the March 21st edition of RVA Dirt's Municipal Mania, where we are bringing you up to speed on this year's budget season. And we interview hashtag RVA Mayor LeVar Stoney about his proposed budget and vision for the city. Before we get too far down the municipal finance rabbit hole, we are going to define some terms, navigate the budget journey, and break down the different parts of the budget. Welcome to the very first RVA Dirt's Municipal Trivia segment. I'm your host, Jesse, and this week, Francesca and Melissa will be stepping into the ring to duke it out over city budget trivia. Municipal trivia rules are, once I finish asking the question, the first person to buzz in will have an opportunity to answer the question. If they're correct, they get a point. If they're wrong, the other person also has an opportunity to answer the question and get the point. If they are also wrong, then we shame them relentlessly. (laughs) (laughs) Please demonstrate your buzzer noise, Melissa. Boop! And Francesca? Ding, ding, ding! Then, at the end of the match, highest points wins. Yay! Any ties will be decided by arm wrestling mat. (laughs) (laughs) Got a little excited there. What are our contestants playing for today? One elusive pack of all pink starbursts that I left at my house because I'm ADD. Let's get manic. Question one. What is a fiscal year and what is the city of Richmond's fiscal year? Bing, ding, ding. Francesca? I believe it starts uh, February to February. That is incorrect. Oh, boop. Boop. <laughs> what is it? Is it July? Yes. It's July to July. July. It's July to July. That is correct. It is. And what is a fiscal year? It's the year in which the money what? happens. <laughs> what? So the fiscal budget starts, you're right, it is July, and it it's the new cycle of the annual budget. That is correct. Melissa gets one point. Uh, I don't get a half? For answer and a half? I'll give Francesca half a point okay, for clarifying. <laughs> All right. I'm looking for a month, day, and year on this one. Oh. What, what do fiscal year 2019 and fiscal year 2020 refer to? Uh, restate the question for the dummies, please. What? what dates do fiscal year 2019 and fiscal year 2020 run? Okay. It would be July 1st, 2018 to July 1st. Or it might be July 31st. June, June 30th? Uh, why am I 30th. answering? It's yeah, not whatever my turn. that is. June 30th. Yeah, the end, <laughs> the end of the previous month. July or June 30, 31st, whichever is the last month, 2019. And then the next year would be July 1st, 2019 to June 30th, 2020. That is painfully correct. <sighs> All right. Question three Who approves the Richmond City budget? Bing, ding, ding. Francesca? It's, it's City Council. That is correct. I was staring off into space. (laughs) (laughs) All right. Question four. We are currently at two and a half points, Francesca. One point, Melissa, just to recap. And question four is, what is a balanced budget? And is the city required to have one? You want the real answer or the shade answer? I was going to say, boop. I don't know the first part. Second part, no. So I will say Melissa is incorrect. All right. So we're supposed to ha- we're supposed to have a balanced budget, and I don't know if that's how the cities work, but to my the city's budget works. But to my understanding, so when you have a balanced budget, at the end, whatever you're supposed to use, if you, what you don't use goes into a what kind of fund? So you're close. You're actually thinking of something else. Okay, never mind. Don't worry so, about it. So going to erase all that. Mm-hmm. Unbing ding ding. Never mind. So the definition of a balanced budget for the budget season purposes is to have a proposed and approved budget that has an equal amount of revenue number and expenditures. So the exact number of dollars that goes out is also identified as going is going into it in the beginning. And yes, the city charter does require the city to have a balanced budget that is adopted by the end of May. May. May 31st May. of the year. All right. So question five. What is the difference between a general fund and a special reserve fund? <laughs> Melissa? Uh, well, the general fund is 
where money is generally found. And I, special I, reserve I, is reserved for specialness. Okay. Special- um, can I be, 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 ding, ding, ding. Yes. Blurp, whatever it is. So, general fund. <laughs> the record, Melissa's not fully wrong. <laughs> no, she's not. She's not. I'm just going to help her a Melissa's little bit for, for a half point. Not fully here, apparently. <laughs> so, general fund is where, like she said, generally the rest of the capital in the budget is found for normal budget items, things that are budgeted every year, things that are adopted from or or carried over from the previous line items in the previous year's budget. Special fund, what was this, what was the technical term? What was Special it? reserve funds. Special reserve funds are funds that are revenues that are raised and they are allotted to this particular fund and they while they may have specified future intent, they don't necessarily have to have that. Um, they're supposed to be a certain amount well, they should have a certain amount budgeted every year to put there for things that come up that are not found under a normal line item in the budget. That's correct. Basically, yeah. special reserve funds are restricted funds. Yeah. So they have a specific place that they're supposed to go. You know, for special things. Mm-hmm. All right. So next question. Special what is the things. Capital Improvement Program? No, I don't want to answer. What? Capital Improvement is, um, is that our infrastructure? Yeah. Mm-hmm. It's our infrastructure. Boop, boop, boop. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yes, it is our infrastructure plan, our maintenance plans, any construction <laughs> projects, all of that good stuff. So actually, if you think capital building uses mm-hmm. and the improvement of those things in our infrastructures, yes. Melissa gets a point. So this now puts us at Melissa for three points and then Francesca for three and a half points. We are in a close game. This might come down to an arm wrestling match, which is basically de facto Francesca. Well, because my arms are made of spaghetti noodles that are overcooked. I got my guns out today, too. Ready. All right. So next question. What is a fund balance? Bing, ding, ding. Francesca? Uh, <laughs> why is Melissa giving me hate looks? Because I'm here? like, it's a balance of funds. It is. It's the leftover. It's that. It was the answer to the question I was trying to answer earlier. So it's it's what's left over at the end of the fiscal year in a particular section, and it wasn't used, um, even though it was probably needed. It just wasn't used, and so it's left over. That is correct. The final question here is multiple choice. Are you trying to make it easier for me to get a question right? <laughs> She really wants to see us arm wrestle. Well, no, you're actually, this, it's totally impossible for Melissa to win at this point. Yeah. <laughs> You've got a half point edge. What is Mayor Stoney's proposed fiscal year 2019 general fund budget? Is it A, $690 million? No. B, $715.9 million? Yes. No. 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 C, $710.7 million? <laughs> Or D, $712.2 million. Stop, it's that one. I thought it was the, the last one. It's the last, it's the last one. one. Yeah. I was like, it's got a seven and a one. And some other numbers. And a point. Well, congratulations, Francesca. You are the first winner of our municipal trivia. As such, you win the coveted prize of one pack of all pink Starbursts that Jesse left at home, but she expects you will share with her again at a future date. Yep. Laying the smackdown on your candy ass. <laughs> now that we're speaking some of the same language, let's get a little schoolhouse rock minus the sick rhymes and jams for a journey down the roadmap to budget season. The harsh reality is that budget season is technically year-round for the poor souls in the Department of Budget and Strategic Planning with their super behind-the-scenes work starting in August. In November-December, departments submit their budget request to the Department of Budget and Strategic Planning, who makes recommendations to the Deputy CAO for Finance and Administration and Deputy CAO for Operations. Then in January and February, the mayor hears from citywide stakeholders and council critters about their request, and he works with his team to put together his budget presentation. Once his proposal is finalized, the mayor presents the capital budget to the city planning commission and the operating capital budgets to city council. This year, that happened to be March 6th. Following his presentation, the budget was posted to the city's budget department website. Throughout March and April, city council receives presentations from various departments that works on amendments to that budget. Council can make amendments to create new expenditure increase, decrease, or strikeout expenditures. Then council will host a public hearing on the budget to hear from citizen speakers about any item in the budget. This year, the public hearing is scheduled for April the 23rd. Following the public hearing, they will work through the amendments to determine what will be included and excluded before they ultimately vote on the budget and all amendments. Council must adopt the budget for the schools by May 15th, and then the entire city's budget must be adopted by May 31st. Currently, council is scheduled to vote on the entire budget on May 15th. Once adopted, the budget will go into full 
full effect July 1st, 2018. Oh, and don't forget those ground rules. They must pass a balanced budget, and if no budget is adopted by May 31st, then the mayor's proposed budget is automatically adopted, and the mayor can veto any item in the budget by written notice of veto to the city clerk within 14 calendar days of the council's vote. Of course, council can override the mayor's veto with six or more votes at any regular or special meeting within 14 days of the clerk receiving the veto notice. If you brave your way to the city budget department website and open the proposed biannual fiscal plan, aka the budget, don't automatically press print unless you have an entire ream of paper to spare because you'll be met with a 606-page PDF. There is a table of contents, but it is something like 14 pages, so you will probably scroll right by it if you haven't panic closed your laptop by now. Every budget contains 10 sections. The mayor's budget message, an overview of the budget, summaries of fund revenues and expenditures, the city's strategic vision, department-level expenditures in the general fund, the capital improvement program, summaries of grants and special funds, the school's budget, department-level staffing complement numbers, and then finally, a glossary. All right, let's get down to brass tacks, which is commonly mispronounced as brass tax, and therefore an appropriate bad pun I just made way worse by my inexplicable compulsion to explain it. Yeah! <laughs> The mayor's proposed fiscal year 2019 general fund budget is $715.2 million of revenue and expenditure items. So, what are the heavy hitter categories? Starting with revenue coming into the city, 48.2% comes from city property tax and 22.6% is generated from other local taxes such as the admissions tax, meals tax, lodging tax, etc. So basically, 70% of the city's revenue is generated from local city taxes. Only 12.6% comes from the Commonwealth and 4% from federal government. Wholly we fund ourselves. On the other side of the equation are the expenditures. The city's top three general fund expenditures account for 70 of the entire general fund budget. Public safety accounts for 26.7% of expenditures, which includes animal control, the fire department, police department, emergency communications. Second is Richmond Public Schools, which is 23.6% of the general fund budget. And then 25.5% of the budget is other public services. The broad other public services category is 44% money that goes to pay off the city's debt, and then 56% of it goes into non-departmental expenses which includes funding for quasi-governmental entities, community contracts, and economic development partnerships. Basically, it's a hodgepodge of line items that are important, but don't fit into the other categories. Examples would include things like the City Retiree Healthcare, Groundwork RVA, GRTC, Better Housing Coalition, Stone Brewery Economic Development Grant, Art 180 Funding, Culture Works, Caritas, Richmond Ambulance Authority, and so, so much more. In addition to the $715 million general fund budget, there is a $187 million capital improvement program budget, 130 million special revenue funds, 369 million enterprise funds, and 61.5 million internal service funds. The mayor only presents the general fund and the capital improvement program budgets. The enterprise funds, internal service funds, and special revenue funds are more or less preset. Enterprise funds are the dollars of revenue that come from the city-owned cemeteries, parking lots, and the Department of Public Utilities, as well as the expenses to run those departments and maintain those assets. Internal service funds are funds that go to Advantage Richmond Corporation, which was established in 2005 to acquire, construct, renovate, equip, operate, and maintain public buildings and structures such as the current lease of the Marshall Street Plaza to Richmond Department of Social Services. Of these additional budgets, we are going to focus on the special fund budget and the capital improvement program budget. The special fund budget are any revenues that are designated for a special purpose that have restrictions for their use. The fiscal year 2019 special fund budget is $130 million with revenue sources of the federal government, city funds, grants, HUD block grants, etc. The largest expenditure item is the Department of Public Works, which accounts for 25% of the budget. Second largest is the 21% that goes to Richmond Public Schools, which is money from the state sales tax that is transferred to RPS. Then 19% goes to the social services, 13% to housing and community development. Outside of the general fund, the capital improvement program gets the most attention from the public and council as it includes any maintenance and construction projects. Those potholes y'all love so much. The fiscal year 2019 CIP budget is a smidge under 296 million and 51% of that or 151.5 million is allocated towards capital maintenance and new school construction. Uh, 36% of this year's proposed CIP goes towards gas utility, stormwater improvements, sewer upgrades and water 
utility improvements. The next lowest category is 6%, which is allocated to transportation projects, such as street lighting, bridge improvements, sidewalk projects, etc. The remaining 7% of the CIP budget is allocated to various public safety projects, culture and recreation projects, economic and community projects, city facility maintenance, and city fleet replacement. Ah, the more you know. That was a lot of numbers, but what does it all mean in practice? Let's take a look at Richmond Public Schools' budget for an illustrative example. Richmond Public Schools' total fiscal year 2019 proposed budget is $347.8 million. Of that, $169.1 million is coming from the city's general fund for operating expenses. Included in that general fund budget is a special fund set aside for $9 million from the meals tax. Then, $27 million is coming from the special reserve fund for the state sales tax. Finally, $151.5 million is from the capital improvement program budget that includes both maintenance for existing schools and construction of new schools. If the nitty-gritty numbers are the trees, then the mayor's strategic vision is the forest. The strategic vision sets a direction for the city, and the budget line items reflect that set vision. We had the pleasure of interviewing Mayor LeVar Stoney about his general fund budget, and we hope you enjoy. This is Mayor LeVar Stoney, and you are listening to RVA Dirt's Municipal Mania on WRIRLP. 97.3 FM, Richmond. Are you ready? I'm ready. Excellent. <laughs> we are here with this week's special guest, Mayor LeVar Stoney, to talk about the city's fiscal year 2019-2020 budget. Welcome to RVA Dirt's Municipal Mania. Thank you for coming on the show, Mayor Stoney. Good morning. Good Yay. morning. I Welcome. I guess it's still, no, I don't know. It, it is still the morning, right? It, yeah. it's, it's been a long morning. I double-checked the time to make sure before I read. <laughs> <laughs> so um, I'm going to kick us off with some more like high-level, broad questions about your budget, and then Melissa and Francesca have more kind of weedy questions. Oh, you know, weedy questions? Weedy questions. Down in the weed. Sounds very, okay, gotcha. That sounds heavy. Well, it's, <laughs> yeah, we're trying to weigh you down today. I'm off from work today, so it's a corporate jargon. I had to get it in somewhere. Okay. There you go. <laughs> So this is the second budget you presented, but this is really the first budget that you and your team have put together from the projection stages all the way to the presentation. So with that and your administration's one Richmond vision that is now in this budget, um, trying to provide services for citizens in four strategic priority areas, which were education, public safety, core services, and poverty mitigation. Could you talk about your vision for the city that you're showing in the budget and how that the budget reflects your vision? Well, you know, I, you're right. This is the first time we've been able to construct this budget from the beginning to the end. And, you know, last year when I walked in the office and as we spoke about on the campaign trail because you guys are always there folks mentioned all the time how you know when you walk in the door the budget's already gonna be there and you're just gonna be able to you know tweak around the edges and you're exactly right this it was a lot of tweaking around the edges but this one has my values in it you know the things i talked about on the campaign trail are seen in this budget so for me as i said public education is at the top of my priorities and the focus around the whole child and so you see a 12.5 million dollar reinvestment into richmond public schools you see free g RTC uh, bus passes uh, for an entire year for all high schoolers. Uh, you see us now beginning to create that network of expanding out of school time for for elementary schoolers and middle schoolers. And so you see over a million dollars of the uh, non-departmental dollars dedicated to the YMCA and uh, Peter Paul Development and the Neighborhood Resource Center so our kids can have quality out of school time. Uh, additionally, um, I still continue with the priorities of uh, uh, of, of the, the nuts and bolts and the, the blocking tackling, right? You know, uh, last year we worked on potholes and uh, and repairing alleys. This year you see you put an additional million dollars creating a, a pool of $2.5 million of worth of, of, of focus on repaving uh, as well. Um, the the, the Money that we put into um, almost three quarters of a million dollars into the Richmond Behavioral Health Authority, so we can fight substance abuse and um, um, and uh, opioid addiction and uh, mental illness. I can go on and on, uh, but this one really has, um, I guess, my values in it. This is, you know, I, I, I'm not here to. to to talk about, you know, whether, I I hope there there will be more uh, we can add to my record beyond this second year, but this one puts the the flag uh, in the dirt and says, RVA dirt. Uh, <laughs> we were talking about weeds. That, right. <laughs> that, that, you know, this is the sort of value structure we're going to um, going to have here in the city, and uh, I'm very, very pleased with it. Now, my job is to keep it intact. The city council will have their uh, chance to, to, to weigh in, uh, but I think it's a tough one to, to be against. 
Absolutely. And speaking of that, I know there's been a couple criticisms of the budget at this point. And I think most of them were things around um, it's a recertification of money for the school. It's not reoccurring funds, a dollar amount. And then I think the other one was specifically addressing Scott's addition infrastructure, a hyper-specific neighborhood. So I was just wondering, how are you responding to those criticisms? And how do you view that within your budget? Hey, so looking at uh, funding for public education, you know, last year we um, we were able to add an extra $6.2 million to the budget uh, over the one that they received the year prior to me coming in. And that was the most, the, the largest increase, proposed increase by any mayor in this form of government. Then this year, uh, we were able to get them $150 million in funding for the construction of new schools by going out and asking people to pitch in a little bit more uh, in terms of their, their prepared meals tax. Then we added all these other uh, dollars around extending uh, parks and recreation hours now that, you know, they can, these centers will be open until 11 o'clock. The focus still remains around the whole child. A $12.5 million in reinvestment is around, I, I just have a belief, and I think I heard that when um, I was out there campaigning and pushing the increase, uh, the investment into new school facilities that people thought that all dollars in the city's budget, uh, the city's budget needs to be spent. All an unspent dollar needs to be a spent dollar. And we have to stretch ourselves in so many ways. I have dozens of priorities, but number one, number one priority is public education. And so what I was able to do this time is like the recertification, they call it or whatnot, but it's, there's $12.5 million out there sitting unspent. And I have a rec- I recognize that they're going to come for more reoccurring dollars in the future while I'm mayor. I think there has to be a demonstration, though, that we can spend every single dollar towards our kids. So, yes, one time they got bonus money for 12.5 in the 2019 budget. In 2020, uh, they'll revert back to the budget they had when I gave them an extra $6.2 million. I, I-, I am fine to fight that fight about, you know, whether or not we should add any additional money on top of that. I think uh, I never consider myself a fiscal conservative, but also I, I do believe in accountability, though. And I think Jason Cameron is going to step to the plate and show I can make use of this $12.5 million and I'm going to provide you with a strategic plan on, on how we actually close the achievement gap. And then we can talk about dollars after that. When it comes to Scott's edition, as you all know, I have a number of neighborhoods in need of different upgrades and when it comes to infrastructure. Yes. I mean, you know, there are neighborhoods on the East End who, who, who lack infrastructure upgrades. There's neighborhoods in South Richmond as well. You talk to Reva Trammell about the, the Jeff Davis corridor or there's a number of neighborhoods. And here's the thing. I am not, I recognize that uh, Scott's Edition has done more than their fair share. This is a neighborhood that is not driven by some uh, uh, catalytic generator. They, they've organically moved this, this uh, neighborhood to a place where it's, uh, it's a gem, uh, for all to come visit. However, we got to make our dollars stretch. And I was able to sit down with the Boulevard and, uh, and, and uh, the Boulevard and Scott's Edition Association and, and listen to their concerns. And some of the concerns that we can definitely work on together, whether it's upgrades on sidewalk needs, uh, parking, obviously parking is everyone's issue. It's not just a Scott's <laughs> Edition a issue. It's number one hot issue. Um, Richmond issue. But, but it's a Richmond issue. But we can, we, we, we are definitely going to look at, now when I did get it, yeah, I heard about the money towards a green space or whatnot. There's money in the budget currently for green space upgrades. Let's spend that money and then move forward. So I, I, I'm optimistic that um, this budget will pass, even though there will be some individual out there on the city council that will more than likely uh, try and poke holes into it. But this is a good budget. This is a good, strong budget. And yes, not every neighborhood is going to receive uh, the bells and whistles, uh, going to receive uh, everything they want. But we're going to work through it. We're going to make the money work for everyone. Speaking to, you mentioned accountability in a budget. Um, something I noticed when I was reading these 606 pages that are there. <laughs> in a new format though, right? New format. Yes, and and this is kind of with the new format actually. So I noticed that you put in some of it last year, but really this year, key performance indicators. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> yes. And they actually had quantifiable <laughs> target outcomes for each department. That's right. Um, so, and you also created a performance management office this year. So why did you feel it was important to, first of all, put this information in the budget and also, how did you work with the departments to define the KPIs that they'd be going after? Yeah, yeah. Well, the performance review kind of set the course for all of this, right? You know, and I got to give my tip my hat off to uh, a Thad Williamson, Dr. Thad Williamson, who's been our champion inside City Hall when it comes to uh, our performance management uh, efforts. And we have gone, I know my directors are probably like, gosh, do we have to talk about it again and again and again? But remember, we built this, this is a zero base budget. So they built this from, from zero dollars to, you know, to their current budget. And and we were able to add the performance measures to it as well. To me, the budget is just a tool 
to goal set, right? It's a yes. goal setting tool. And so last year I said I wanted to uh, get to um, uh, 1,500 po- uh, 1, uh, alleys. And we did that. We actually went beyond our goal. I, I use it as a, as a goal setting uh, exercise. And so for me, um, I-, I think what the people of the city want is for me to go and say, let me tell you why I'm putting a million dollars into this here, here or there or X, Y, and Z. And then have my department defend it very easily and say like, you know, this is what we did with the million dollars. To me, it's, it's transparency and it's accountability. If all these other cities I've visited can do it, there's no reason why Richmond can do it. And the performance management office is going to help us actually um, – uh, at least clarify for the public where those dollars are being spent. So, for instance, when people start talking about uh, the increase in the prepared meals tax, uh, they start talking about, well, where did the money go to beyond that and whatnot? At least we want to show you where the money goes to and yeah. give you a result for the dollars that are being asked of the taxpayer. So the result of the dollars being asked for, for instance, uh, we added an extra $600,000 to extended hours for uh, six uh, parks and recreation community centers, right? We're also going to be able to show how many people actually walk through the doors of some of these community centers and see whether or not it was worthwhile. So right now it's in pilot format. We'll see whether or not it works. When it comes to the uh, the bus passes for GRTC, I want to see how many high schoolers took advantage of this opportunity. So when we go back to the budget, we're not just asking for the same amount over and over again. We can we can uh, deviate from the amount that we gave to this year. To me, that's a better use of our dollars, particularly when we're in a we have a a, a situation where we have finite dollars, and there's always going to be someone who's going to come in and ask for more money and more money and more money. But we can say you did this last year, so we're going to build it to that. Not just I have a gut feeling that I need. Two point five million dollars. <laughs> we can't do that. No, no instinct. On that one. <laughs> I mean, I have an instinct. I always need two point five million dollars. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> Don't we all? <laughs> <laughs> So we actually had uh, Councilman Parker Agilasto on the show a couple weeks ago, and he mentioned possible revenue source being yeah. the city fee schedule and really digging into that city fee schedule. Are there any specific fee increases that you guys considered or you'd be supportive of council even adding at this point? I think the one that we actually tweaked a little bit was the actual uh, parking fees. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think it's for the, the penalties for the parking fees, not necessarily. Uh, we also changed uh, how much it may cost to actual park uh, in a certain spot for a number of, of, of minutes. But also what we changed was... Uh, uh, the how much money that you'll be charged when you are penalized for parking there way too long. So you will you will see right a, a, <laughs> you will see a difference in that, and so uh, the green envelopes will um, well well you know no one likes to get it, but it helps with the revenue. Uh, that's at least one one uh, fee that we actually yeah the 20, 20 to twenty five dollars. And it's been a long time since that's been increased. And yeah, I think that's I right. And so you know Parker and I at least are on the same page is that we want. Our fee schedule uh, or Schedule A uh, to look like that of uh, any um, modern city in the Commonwealth of Virginia. So we take a look at places like Norfolk. We take a place a look at places like Alexandria and see where we fit in between. My turn. Okay, here we go. Weedier questions. Yeah, weedier questions. So in your budget, you included money for new programs and departments. What are the top three things you feel will be most impactful to city residents? Top three things in my uh, in, in terms of program and departments. Mm-hmm. Well, you saw I saw we'll put some reorganization out there. I mean, some reforms. I I split uh, the current economic and community development into two departments, uh, Department of Economic Development and Department of Housing and Community Development. Here's the thing. The city is growing. And I think yesterday I was at the the capital, you were there, Mm -hmm. uh, the the Capital Region Collaborative, and it showed that how we are doing compared to some of our peer cities in terms of housing and and, uh, housing affordability. This is something we need to jump on now. I, this is one of those things where I see the wave coming in, and if we don't do something now, the wave is going to crash onto our shores, and we're going to be pushing people who are housing housing insecure into the counties out of the city. So I think we talked about that during the campaign. That's why I created that department. Um, the reform to the 311 Center, the Constituent uh, Service and re- or Assistant Service and Response Uh Here's the thing. I I go to I did what nine town halls around the city last year. The number one thing I heard outside of you know potholes in the alley repair was uh, you know I call three one one and it takes forever for someone to answer my phone call. And so we're going to streamline that a little bit. This is uh, something we picked up from other cities, but also across the street at the Commonwealth of Virginia, they have a you know an office for constituent services. And so this will be for the constituent. Will decouple it from three one one that is inside the Department of Public Utilities and make it its own. Uh, 
uh, old standalone department to handle citizen concerns so we can streamline response from the city. Uh, number three, I think we already touched on it, was the performance management office that we're going to create uh, that will report directly to uh, the CAO, I, the, the chief administrative officer. I, I just think that it is uh, far time that Richmond actually not use gut as an approach to budgeting and to uh, we actually hold people account, hold my directors accountable to some of the goals that we set. And here's the thing about goal setting and why the performance management office is, I think, is key. We may set goals that we may not hit. And I tell constituents that every single day. I, I am. I want to set ambitious goals for my employees. And if we don't hit them, that's okay. If it takes longer than we we said, if it's a, we're going to do this in a year's time, it takes uh, 15 months or 18 months instead, that's okay. But we should be setting goals and setting deadlines and also using and stretching every dollar as, as far as possible. Uh, I think during the debate that we had earlier this year, folks talked about efficiencies. I want to show, I want to show the city where we're, how we are being more efficient. And efficiencies don't, that doesn't mean that we should be cutting budgets. I mean, efficiencies and, and cuts, they're not synonymous. No. Efficiencies is, to me, is like we got a little money to do something. How do we stretch our dollar to get more out of the money that we're already using? That's what, that's what to me, what efficiency has always been about. All right, here's a little bit of a chunky question for you. In addition to raises <laughs> for city employees, your proposed budget includes money to ensure our city employees are making a living wage by raising their salaries to the minimum standard salary for their job. The Gallagher class and compensation study you cited in your budget presentation indicates that this will help 662 employees. The study's recommended increase is from an hourly wage of $11.66 to $12.07, which is $1.97 over Virginia minimum wage. What job functions will be primarily helped with this proposal, and why do you feel it's important for a city to pay a living wage versus the minimum wage? All right, so my first job I had out of college was I was a bagger. I was at Anna Julia Cooper earlier today, and they asked me what my first job was, and it was a bagger at a grocery store. And at that time, I was getting paid, uh, the minimum wage was 5 75. That was in 2004. All right. What I realized then was that, uh, you know, this is just my part time job I do as a, you know, as, as, a, as a young teenager. But there were people who were working alongside me who had families and they're working at that same wage. And then I look at my father, who was a high school janitor, uh, who, you know, uh, you know, he was not getting paid very much as well. And now I've got to know the people who work for the city, Richard, who make the city run, who don't you don't see them every single day. They are uh, uh, they're nondescript. They they're 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 out of the limelight, but they're behind the scenes making the city work. And then when the compensation study shows that we were paying people less than a living wage, that's problematic to me. Those who are our maintenance workers, you know, someone like my father who who works at, you know who who work inside city hall, who keep things running, you know, those folks who work in parks and recreation, who are or maintenance specialists, those are folks who are now upping to a, a living wage in, in city government. And also, we give a one percent increase to non-sworn individuals as well. But for me, seeing that we were, (laughs) and I saw that I got the study ahead of time and I saw that, you know, we are paying, what, minus 5% off market or minus 8% off market. I mean, that that was tough to see. You know, we've been able to invest in our police officers and our firefighters. That's a good thing because we want the best to be here in the city. But we also want a city that works for everyone and the folks who make this city work are our employees of the other part of the 4,000. And they have not been compensated uh, over these past many years. And so you get what you pay for, right? Folks don't recognize that. You get what you pay for. So if we pay for mediocre, in a mediocre fashion or an average fashion, they're going to get average work. But we actually get folks up to a wage that treats them with dignity. That's what it should be all about. We're going to get dignity back. All right. So kind of in the same vein on the city employee tip there. So the United States is the only industrialized nation without paid maternity leave mm. laws. So in your budget, you propose maternity and That's right. maternity leave paid That's right. for city employees. Why do you believe this is something that the city needs to go above well, and beyond? Well, first, I got really like I got all of my feelings uh, <laughs> when I heard uh, Virginia Beach had got out ahead and said that they were going to do a parental leave, paid parental leave. I think they did three weeks. And my friend, friends with Will Sessoms, who is the mayor there, who is a Republican. And I said, wait one minute. Virginia Beach, a well, Republican locality, mm-hmm. that Ralph Northam won, but still a Republican locality. I was like, there is no way that we're going to be outdone by Virginia Beach. You know, uh, 400,000 people, but it's more like a county, right? You know, I think of a city, I think of, uh, I think of the city of Richmond. And so uh, I went to my team, I sent them that article and said, why are we doing that here in Richmond? You know, I, I just don't see why we're doing it. So uh, we put four weeks 
in our budget of paid leave. And, you know, here's the thing. I went across the street to the Commonwealth of Virginia, and I don't know what they're cooking up, but they're cooking up something to outdo what we just did. Now, the, <laughs> which is good, right? That's what we should be doing this. Yeah, yeah. Now, four weeks of paid leave will also, you know, um, uh, will also be understanding of, you know, if you adopt a child, uh, also uh, for our male employees as well, when their parents are maybe sick, because, you know, we have a lot of uh, an aging population inside City Hall who will also have aging parents too. So uh, I think that's um, important. We now join... So Virginia Beach was at three. I think uh, Arlington and Alexandria are at four to six. So now we join those progressive cities as well as a city that is supporting paid leave. Now, here's the thing. I did not know this about the private sector as a person who's only worked in the private sector for a very, very short period of time. But this is something that employees are looking for, particularly our brightest and most talented women. They're looking for the go to employers like Capital One or Genworth, you name it, who are going to provide that long term paid leave. Some people have told me it's like I will not work for an employer without paid leave. Or in my case, actually, the paid leave, you have to file with disability insurance. Wow. Okay. Which I think is very interesting to say it's a disability to go on paid maternity leave. So it's my hope that our, mm-hmm. you know, I do when I do things here for the city. When we do things here, it's my hope that those in the region follow our lead. Yeah. Not just the private employers, right, but also the public employers as well, like Henrico and Chesterfield. If we want to stay competitive with the Austins and the Nashvilles and uh, the Louisvilles and whatnot, we also got to create a, a region that also. Uh, follows through on those sort of values as well. That's how I, that's how we compete. So you eliminated the $2 a day fee to inmates being housed in the city yes. justice center. Citing conversations with Sheriff Antoinette Irving, what convinced you that this fee needed to be eliminated? That's ridiculous, isn't right? it? Right? Dumb. So I doubt remember, it's convincing. <laughs> that's a ridiculous Remember thing. when I was Secretary of the Commonwealth, I worked on the restoration of civil rights, right? And one thing that held uh, former offenders back was the fact that they still owed fees and fines in order to get the right to vote back. So some part of those fees and fines were also about, you know, uh, you know, uh, the, the money they owed back to the, the city or the state for being housed in, uh, you know, the, the justice center. To me, that's ridiculous. After you pay your your dues to society uh, and, and done your time, you should be able to come out fine free, particularly when it comes to housing. Right. Yes. yes you may owe restitution. I understand that. But when it comes to actually, you know, I, I just didn't get it. To me, it was um, we should want our uh, those who uh, serve their time to walk out debt free. Like we are basically creating a debtor's prison for the, for these folks. They should walk out debt free, be able to walk into a job uh, and, and start their life uh, over uh, and contribute to society. And so uh, Sheriff Irving, I think uh, right out the gate uh, came to me on that front and I said, I can support this and uh, we're doing the right thing. To me, this is all about, you know, we can talk numbers all day long and talk about the millions of dollars that are within the budget. But this has to be about a compass, right? Mm-hmm. Can you wake up in the morning and say, are we doing the right thing? Uh, what I say normally is that we're doing the right thing. Sometimes we're just not doing enough because we don't have enough money to do it with. When people have their driver's license suspended for fines that they haven't paid, are these some of the fines also that they are being suspended for? So, yeah, if you don't pay those fines, then they can also suspend your license and also keep you from voting. Yeah, that's yeah. just... And then that prevents you from being able to work and so to me that is the spiral to poverty right there. Right. It's just so discriminatory. And so my job we we want to mitigate poverty as well. Obviously the office community wealth building, we've been investing in in that. But how can we prevent folks from falling into poverty outside of you know, once they're done with doing their time? I mean, as you know, when you walk around and it's it's sad to me. Um, when you walk around this city or this commonwealth with a scarlet letter in your chest, it's already difficult to get a job already. And so that's one thing I got. You know, I went to the chairman of the uh, uh, House Appropriations, Chris Jones, and said, you know, I am for I, I'm, I'm for the Medicaid expansion in you all's budget, but I want to make sure that those folks who have committed a crime in the past, who you have a work requirement in there, that that they can also be benefic- be the beneficiaries, the recipients of uh, of, of Medicaid expansion, right? Because you say, oh, you know, go out and get a job, and then you you can have access to. But if you are a felon in this in this Commonwealth, then you know, getting a job is a whole lot tougher than you think. Mm-hmm. I mean, folks say, oh, well, no, you can they can go get a job. No, it's a lot tougher when you have a felony on your record. But luckily, I think this budget that the House has put out, uh, the House of Delegates, uh, invest in training and workforce development, which is good for those who are who come and want to re-enter society. You know, every year there's a buzzword. We heard transparency, transparency, transparency for two or three years. Yes, so we did. This year, you know, um, Richmond Word of the Year is definitely efficiencies. <laughs> 
it, it's a strong contender. Yeah. So your budget proposal includes uh, centralizing hiring functions um, with the Department of Resource, Human Resources. Mm-hmm. Uh, what benefits are to be had from centralizing the hiring process? And are what are some other job functions that you have found would benefit from that centralization? Well, you know, what I saw when I went on my tour of visiting every single department, I, I visited every single department in City Hall, and I asked for the senior leadership to take a, take a break. You know, I just want to see the rank and file uh, in each department. And then you hear some really like, you know, uh, you, you hear it all. I mean, mm-hmm. some of these some of these visits were lit. I mean, I mean <laughs> social services was lit. You know, I mean, uh, parks and recreation was lit. But I got something from that. And I was like, you know, we could do our job better if we, you know, centralize hiring competitor be decentralized throughout the whole organization. Same thing with IT as well. Right. Mm-hmm. We should not have, you know, 15, 16 different IT departments. Or 15, 16 HR departments, basically. Because folks create these little fiefdoms, they create these silos, and that's money, 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 money. Mm -hmm. And so now I think centralizing hiring inside the Department of Human Resources, and we have a new director I'm very high on, and Karita Jones, she's going to do a great job. Uh, I think that will save us some money and make it more efficient, and also hopefully speed up the process as well. I mean, because I hate hearing how long it takes to fill some of our vacancies. Yes. And so I want to cut down high on, on the amount of time it takes to get a, a competent person into a role. Uh, and also uh, that will save the city some money because every time we don't have someone in that vacant position, that's costing us money each and every day. Uh, another place you pulled dollars from was from city job vacancies. What, Speaking of you know, vacancies. <laughs> <laughs> what impact um, will that have on our year-over-year fund balance? No, I just think that's going to help us be more e- efficient. Boom. <laughs> I think you're trying to ding, 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 ding. Take a shot. Take a shot, everybody. <laughs> Hashtag efficiency. <laughs> I love it. Uh, you know, I think I uh, forget that I, I can't cite the numbers from Harvard. but I think we did the reduction last year. We're doing more reduction this year. And next year, I think uh, the city, I think the school board is also doing a reduction too. Uh, I think the, Jason Cameras is doing the same thing. And so it's, um, I think the, see, we're, we're doing the, the, the key, the goal is to do more with less. You know, some of these positions will never go back. And I think we talked about it during the campaign is like, you know what, just because you have a vacancy doesn't mean you have to hire for or fund that vacancy. Now, if there are vital pieces of the organization, obviously, we want to hire them and make sure that, you know, our residents are getting the proper service. But a lot of the times uh, we don't we don't ever end up hiring them. They become unfunded vacancies. And so cutting that out of the budget and focusing on the people we have investing there moves goes a long way, I think. And so I think it's something over 30 million in vacancies. 39 million in vacancies that we actually have that are outstanding. That's right. And so some of them will never be filled, right? They will right. never be filled. And so all this is doing is cutting out and a little bit more of the unfunded vacancies. Yeah. Right. Cut That's out right. the fat. Streamlining, streamlining, streamlining. I mean, efficiencies. Yes, efficiencies. But it's somewhere else where we need it. That's right. All right. So assuming uh, the governor signs off on it, the school modernization referendum will go into effect in July. <laughs> <laughs> which would require you to produce a fully funded facilities plan um, by January 1, 2019. How is your team looking at tackling this planning process as a whole? Well, first, we've already begin, we've already begun actually tackling the process by uh, you know investing 150 million dollars in new schools that will you know allow for children in the city of Richmond, uh, those who are going to over who are in overcrowded schools like Broad Rock Elementary School, Green Elementary School, to actually walk into new schools. And you know, through the doors in 2020. That's my that's that that's my hope. I'm very ambitious. I'm very confident, ambitious about that. So we've begun the process, right? That's 150 million dollars. Now moving forward, I hear it's going to work itself to the governor's desk. This referendum or not? What I don't, what I, what I always had a problem with was that the fact that this referendum, this effort, uh, did not allow for the chief executive officer to actually find the funding to make this a reality. You know, we are not going to build schools off of efficiencies or off of cuts. That's just not going to mean you saw how much money we, we you see how much money we have in our CIP now. I mean, in all that CIP money, the this is a comprehensive uh, you know, improvement um, program money is already tied up in key priorities like you know upgrading roads around the city or uh, public safety and an emergency response uh there are no like extra dollars out there to be re- repurposed yeah, they need to be and made. that's right <laughs> we got to find real dollars for this and so that's why we decided to go go about increasing uh, debt capacity so we're going to have to find the dollars but here's the thing as well this also gives 
the executive branch the authority now over the school board, which is also always a problem. I do respect the school board's authority. Their job is to advocate on behalf of rich and public schools and also dictate curriculum and also the facilities that these children are, are using. Now that puts the powers in the executive branch hands. And to me, I just have a real problem with that because we start to blur the lines mm-hmm. on who's in charge of Richmond Public Schools. Mm-hmm. And I think the people of the city long ago stated they want an elected school board to be in charge of that and not, not, the, not the mayor. Yeah. And so this kind of oversteps that. And I know the folks who voted you know, 85% for this didn't read that whole giant nope. preamble oh, no. before they no. voted it, so voted for confused. it. But that's what it does. That's what this piece of legislation does. And so, hey, in my my speech, uh, my state of the city, I spoke about how moving forward, we're going to have one plan for one Richmond, right? Mm -hmm. And so before we build any more schools outside the emergency needs that we're going to tackle over the next couple of years, we can also look about how we tackle poverty mitigation, housing, public safety, and public education in the same vein, yes. not just in a silo approach. And so when the city's debt capacity opens up over the next couple of years, how do we how do we use that $300 million that will be available to the city? Uh, and I think they just can't be... We just it can't be used solely on schools. We also got to think about the communities that our children are coming from. We can build a number of new schools over the next decade plus, but they're still coming from the same broken neighborhoods. Then what what good is 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 a new school building? And so we got to have a a full one Richmond plan. And and that's that's a plan I plan on funding. Now, I could obviously on day one just walk up on July one and say it can't be done and wash my hands of the whole thing. Um, that's 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 easy to do, right? But you know, we uh, we, we're gonna we're gonna explore everything, and I'm gonna be honest with the, the people of the city of Richmond. That's the ex- expectation I think they have of me. And if it can be done, we're gonna do everything we can to do it. Mm-hmm. If it can't be done, I'm not gonna I'm gonna I mean I'm not gonna um, blow smoke up uh, the tails of our residents. I'm gonna be honest with them on what can and what can't be done, and what it will take. Yeah. This was an honesty moment for us uh, when we had the debate about investment in school facilities, right? Being honest about the real costs. You know, it's easy to put a, a measure on a ballot and say, we're going to all have new schools. That's easy. But someone has to actually find the dollars to make that happen. That's the hard part. And I think that's what's been confusing for a lot of people because, like you said, they didn't really know. I think when you're looking at legislation or someone's coming and say, oh, you know, sign this. And they're like, oh, I don't want my taxes to be raised. So I like this. That's right. And they vote for it. And then... I mean, someone puts that in front of me and I say, oh, hell yeah, I'll do that, right? (laughs) Uh, It kind of ties your hands because they're like, find the money, but don't raise my taxes. (laughs) Do we have money trees? Exactly right. I I think uh, Grand Mouma, I think, stated that, you know, I don't have some magic money trees sitting out back off of 900 East Broad that I can be like, oh, I'll just pull down a couple million dollars here or there. No, no, I got to work with banks. Yeah. (laughs) I got to work with banks and real, real dollars. And here's the thing. I'm not going to rob Peter to pay Paul either. Right. Mm-hmm. I'm not going to gut the Department of Parks and Recreation or gut, you know, public works to build new schools. I, I can't have my, you know, because guess what? If I gut those sort of departments, you know, we, we start you know, these austerity measures and whatnot. Then some people will say, well, you know, I'd rather go live out in Henrico or Chesterfield because I get more service from them. There's a balance we have to actually bring to this. And so and some equity to this as well. And so uh, I, we're going to do everything we can. Um, but as I said before, it's been on the, been on the record is that, uh, you know, there aren't, there's not $750 million, $800 million in the, the, the seat cushions over at City Hall. I wish there was. I feel like y'all couldn't kick me out of City Hall. I know, that's right. <laughs> so to close this out, you kind of started talking about your One Richmond strategy, which is where I, I kind of want to end. So going back to that vision, what do you hope people take away and really understand about the One Richmond strategy? Because mm-hmm. I think we've talked about a lot of different parts of this budget. We didn't even get to some of it where it's like lower utility fees, guys. That's good right. news. That's good. Um, but lower water rates, everyone. Lower water you, rates. What do you want everybody to understand really about your strategy and how community members can support the progress of it? Okay, so One Richmond is truly about equity. It's about equity. We have uh, a responsibility in these roles, particularly when you're elected in, you know, uh, 2016 or any time further you know, in the future. This is about equity, right? So we can either continue to perpetuate those inequities and those injustices in the city, or we can actually stand up and say, uh, we're going to right some of those wrongs in the past. So when I think about One Richmond, I think about, for example, the Latino babies who are in South Richmond who are going to school 
in uh, overcrowded schools that are in trailers. And then we got half empty schools throughout the city. We got to do something about that. That's what One Richmond's about. There's no reason why Latino babies should be in cold uh, trailers for eating lunch and then half empty schools for, for, for our black kids. We got to do better than that. Additionally, One Richmond is about, um, you know, I think going beyond our borders as well. I'm very, very, very happy to hear that in Henrico's proposed budget is an expansion of um, expansion of GRTC bus line out to uh, out to Short Pump, where a lot of the job that was just one of the job centers in this region, which will now allow for those who live in the city get you know access to their you know unfettered access to, to to the West End. That's what One Richmond is about. That's big. Bringing this region together, bringing this city together around some values that I think that we care about: being welcoming, being inclusive. Over the last decade, we've seen the growth in this city, right? And we've seen the people who've moved into the city. All positives, but this is about those who've been marginalized in the city. Sometimes not purposeful, but sometimes just by just simple uh, uh, structural discrimination within, you know, the discrimination within our structure or what's already built into uh, to, to, to our structure. And so for me, it's about finding those different uh, those 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 different points uh, that we can fix and and doing something about it. And then here's the thing: we're not going to fix everything. I recognize that, but we give one person, dozens of people, more of an opportunity they had, you know, before we took office in the beginning of 2017, then we've done our job. It's about opportunity for all people, not just those who, who just came to Richmond or those who feel like, you know, here's the thing, we've, we've, made a lot of, we've made a lot of millionaires in the city of Richmond over the last 10 years. A lot of folks have gotten rich in the city of Richmond, a lot. How can those who might be living, that 25% living under poverty or those hovering around the poverty line, how can they be a part of that growth in an equitable fashion? That's what One Richmond's all about. Well, great. Thank you very much for coming on today. Thank you. Thank, Thank you. you. Really appreciate this is fun. Us today. All the questions. This is fun. Yeah. <laughs> well, we hope you come back again and join us. I think I might do that. I think I might do that. I see you guys all the time, so. No. You do. <laughs> we can easily harass you if you don't. <laughs> <laughs> All right, all right, all right. We hope you enjoyed this week's special episode to kick off RVA's budget season. A special thanks to Mayor LeVar Stoney for joining us. Tune in next Wednesday for another riveting edition of RVA Dirt's Municipal Mania right here on WRIRLP 97.3 FM, Richmond Independent Radio. 